First week we talked about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Um, one of my favorite stories in Scripture where he asks them to ask if their God's in the bathroom. I think it's one of the funniest things ever um, and really humorous. And um, over the last, um, last week, we talked about Father Abraham, right? Father Abraham, um, and we talked about him a little bit. And today we're going to talk about Jesus, um, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? And um, Fred, would you do me a favor? Um, there's some lights. I just want to bring the lights down. You can just kind of bring them down today if you would. You know where they are upstairs on the stage? Just keep flicking them. We'll be good. Thank you, buddy. Um, I just want to bring them. And honestly, today I'm going to take you to a place where we don't like to go very often. Um, Not even as Christians do we like to go there because we're going to go to the cross today. We're going to go to the cross. And we we like crosses to be nice and beautiful and jewelry and have all kinds of gems. But we don't like a cross to be rough and, and full of death. Thanks, friend. That's perfect. Thank you. So says the so saith the Lord behind the curtain. I feel like I'm in the Wizard of Oz, you know. <laughs> oh yes, great powerful wizard. Okay. Um, you know what we do like to talk about Christians. We like to talk about Christmas. Do you realize Christmas is a little more than a month away? No. Right, a little more than a month away. Thanksgiving's less than a month away. Correct. And um, and we love to talk about Christmas. We love to talk about Easter, don't we? We like to talk about Easter. We like to talk about all the stuff with Easter. We like to put on the new clothes at Easter. Um, I even may put on a new pair of jeans at Easter or whatever. Um, But we like Easter. We like Christmas. Um, We like Thanksgiving too, don't we? I think one of the the saddest things is that in our country now, we just kind of skip over Thanksgiving. You You know the place that celebrates Thanksgiving the most? The grocery store. Am I right? Um, uh, the grocery store, and you can get your free, how many of you get your free turkeys? Anybody get your free turkeys? You've got to spend a lot more money um, to get that one. Um, and we like to talk about that, but we don't like to spend a lot of time at the cross. Um, this week, I was, I was really kind of pulled because I had this sermon uh, set up uh, for talking about Jesus this, and his monster faith that he has um, on Golgotha, and I was like, but God, you know, there, there was so much suffering this week. There was so much suffering from, from people, um, you know, just, just in places where I've been before, in Atlantic City and New York, New York City, places I like to go visit. Just a lot of suffering. Um, everything but the Jersey Shore house uh, went, came down, right, in, in Seattle City just about. Why? How did that thing stay? I figured it would have crumbled by itself, right? Um, but... It seemed like just so much devastation. Historic Coney Island, destroyed. People's lives completely destroyed. I said, God, you know, I have this good sermon that I could give about, about suffering and, you know, how to push through suffering. And it was kind of like God said, well, wait a second. Who knows more about suffering than my son? All right? So we're going to talk about Jesus today. And we're going to talk about um, who he is. You know, November on Facebook has been a time where people every day have been Offering thanks. If anybody's been on Facebook, uh, a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, I want to show you a couple of pictures. Here's a picture of Atlantic City. First picture right here. There it is, Atlantic City. Not like it was last time I was there, right? The boardwalk completely torn up. Breezy Point. Next picture right here. Devastation. Ground Zero. 
and enough devastation at that place over the last several years? I could have put more and more and more up there, but we've all seen them. But today, we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to know that, we're going to really see that Jesus is all we ever have. So I'm going to ask you to just bow with prayer for me, if you will, with me today. Lord God, we just come to you now. And we just ask that through this message today, that your word come alive in us. Um, God, we may, it may not be one of these ones that make us just feel awesome. And we may be like, oh great, he's going to take me someplace where I don't want to go. That's why I don't come to church. Um, but God, you, you've called us to come here. Um, and you called us in the cross of your son, Jesus. And so God, we are thankful for him. As we focus on this monster faith, God. This monster faith of your son, Jesus. Who for the joy set before him, freely took on the cross, enduring its shame for me. And so be with us here today and minister to us in a powerful way. In Christ's name, amen. All right. I want to, even though Rachel read this to us, I want to reread it to you today because this is from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, years and years, hundreds of years before Jesus. And I just want you to hear this from Chapter 53, if you have your Bibles, please open there. We're going to be there and we'll be up in the Gospels a little bit, primarily Matthew chapter 27. He grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the sin, the bad stuff of us all on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor no deceit was in his mouth. I want to take you to what may seem like a Good Friday sermon today. And this sermon today is going to focus on the cross of Jesus. And his last week, you know, many of us last week as we met here a week ago, we were talking about getting ready for the storm of the century weren't we? And getting through the storm. And, and many of us, how many of you scrambled around for generators? How many got a generator like, I spent that much money on that and it didn't even, the power didn't even go out? I was like disappointed my power didn't go out. I had it all set up. I had a room for the kids and a room for me. Melissa could have floated between the two, I guess. I was ready. And it didn't come and I was kind of like, ah, that stinks. And then yet we saw what happened with other people. A week ago, for people, it started well. People in those areas we had talked about before Breezy Point, they were going about their normal Sunday day. 
Some of them may have been in church. Some of them may have had a, been preparing for a cookout. Some of them probably got, may have gotten a generator or two. Who knows? Some of them probably said, hey, it's never hit here. It started the same for Jesus. It was, as your first one down there, he was riding high before it came crashing down. And he had this triumphal entry. That's the first thing that we existed there. You know, that's the time where we, as Christians, once a year grab palm branches and begin to wave them. And if we're a traditional church, we sing that old hymn that we only sing once a week. Hosanna, loud Hosanna, the little children sang. Anybody remember that? And you wave palm branches. And many of us don't have a clue why we've got this shrubbery in our church waving it around. But we do. And some of us are really talented. Right, Tom? Where we fold them up in crosses and make it really good. All right? And we have, we hold on to that. Look at what it says in the scripture here. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the trees, spread them along the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him, and those that followed, shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us, Son of David. What's going on here? Jesus is spending time with his disciples. Spending a lot of time with his disciples. And as he's, as he's spending time with his disciples, they're getting ready for the preparation for the, a very important meal, the, the Passover celebration, which is to celebrate the Passover, the angel death from Egypt, a celebration that is still to this day practiced and I believe should be. As, anybody ever been part of a Seder, a Christian Seder? It's an awesome experience. Because that's why we celebrate that right there. Jesus just fulfilled it. And as we look more about this, he tells his disciples, he says, hey, go in town and get a donkey. Go ahead and grab it and bring it here. Now, I find, and he says, if anybody tells you, tell them I need it. I find that really cool that Jesus is the first person that I know of to carjack something. (laughs) He says, go take it if they say you need it. Try that today. There's a there's a Porsche down the road. Go tell him I need it and see how good that works for you. You know, But the guy lets him have it. They go prepare a meal. Um, get, they go later to prepare that meal and everything else. They're on the Mount of Olives, which is high up and overlooks Jer- uh, Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, the Passover meal was extremely important. And during the Passover celebration, there was probably, what we know statistically, in Jerusalem on a normal time, there was probably 100,000 people, maybe, around that time in Jerusalem. It's about the equivalent of what is in Cecil County now. According to last year's census, there's 101,694 people in Cecil County. But during the Passover celebration, believers, Jewish believers from all over the world came to Jerusalem, and it went from not only hundred thousand to hundreds of thousands to maybe millions of people in and around Jerusalem. Now imagine if millions of people all of a sudden moved in to Cecil County. How you feeling about that? Remember that song from Schoolhouse Rock, Elbow Room, Elbow Room, right? We'd be going to the moon to get, get some space. But a million people, it was packed. Anybody ever been in an amusement park? Multiply that by 25 billion. You know, just people packed. You can't even move. We went to Disney on New Year's Eve. People from everywhere. People everywhere. You're standing there like this. woo But the cool thing is, once the, once the rocket's red glare, everybody else gets out. There was two more hours, and Jack drug his kids to every ride in there. Because I'm one cheap sucker. I didn't care what it was 2 o'clock in the morning. Right? It was packed. It was packed. 
Jesus starts to ride through and the people begin to come down. And if you guys don't remember my sermon from Palm Sunday, something's wrong with you. That's when I started stripped down, remember? There we go. I'm not going to do it again, I promise. And they started taking off their clothes and putting them down on the ground, grabbing palm branches, which was a symbol of victory during the intertestamental period for the people. They were looking for, for this king to save them. Seems like a pretty good start to a week, doesn't it? And yet, things begin to change very rapidly and very suddenly. As the week went on, Jesus went to the temples, had some conflicts with some people, had some other situations. But then he dealt with something that may change your week too. He's had the the meal and everything was going well. And then he shares that he's going to be betrayed. Anybody ever dealt with betrayal in your life? How does that affect your week? By a friend, no such. By a friend who he knows he's going to do it and he tells him to go do and do what he must do quickly. And then we read this Verse in Luke chapter 22, Jesus, after they sing and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and they pray, he tells them not to fall asleep, they keep falling asleep and all of a sudden here comes this group and with them is Judas Iscariot. And it says while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and a man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? You know, I'd say many of us have had people in our lives that have betrayed us. But have you ever had somebody really, really, really close to you? Really close to you. Someone that you love dearly and deeply. Someone that you shared your most intimate secrets with. Someone that was in your group. One of the scriptures actually says, when he comes up to him, he says, friend, do what you must do. He calls him friend in that moment, knowing what's going to happen. I'd say every single one of us has a betrayal story. It may be a friend. It may be a relative. It may be a spouse or a relationship. It hurts, doesn't it? Doesn't it hurt to be betrayed? Does that change your week from, woohoo, here we go, to, wow. Judas was there with him during the feeding of the 5,000. He was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He was there when he walked on water. He was there on the night in which he broke himself up for us before he had to leave. And then he betrays him for 30 pieces of silver for money. I'd say many of us have been betrayed for as much or as little as that in our lives. Betrayal hurts. And Jesus recognized that, yet he knew what he needed to do. And he continued on this pattern. But, you know, betrayal doesn't stop there. I think a lot of times we deal with some other things. We deal with something called injustice. Anybody ever deal with injustice in our lives? Anybody ever been wrong and you know you're right? You you know you're right, but you're still deemed as wrong or you're treated wrongly. I'm sure that's happened in your job. I'm sure that's happened in your life. I know it's happened in your families. And sometimes when when there's so much gain that you have to gain on, if your relationship depends on it, if your job depends on it, and yet you're wronged 
It doesn't fit, does it? You're screaming out for justice. And you want something right that's happening there. But yet, as the scripture tells us, Jesus was taken away in Matthew chapter 27. We go to verses 20 through 23. It says, but the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd. This is after Jesus is taken. They bring a known criminal, Barabbas. Many people believe he was a revolutionary. So in some ways, he would have gone ahead and, and been kind of like a cult hero because he went after, he was like a Robin Hood. Rob the rich, steal, uh, steal from the rich and give to the poor or keep it himself. And most of those were Romans. And here he is. But he's a murderer. And they said, which of, which of these two do you want me to release? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with the one who's called Jesus the Messiah? And Pilate asked. And they said, crucify him. Stop. These are the same people. Many of them that just a couple days earlier are screaming, save us. But often in our lives, we react the same way to Christ. That when he doesn't do what we want him to do and save us, Hosanna, now, then we want to crucify him. Then we say, you have no part in my life. You can't be who you say you are because you haven't done this. And we, like the people back then, say, I wish you were dead and out of my life. If you don't believe me, look how people live, professing Christians day in and day out. Where is Jesus alive in their lives? We've crucified him in our own lives. You see, it started to be a great week for many people last week, didn't it? But then for the people in New Jersey and the people in New York City and Breezy Point and all kinds of other areas, it fell apart. But we don't have to have an outside hurricane to have our life start well and then fall apart. I dare say, in this group here today, there are people whose lives start off well and they're in shambles. I guarantee you that it may be a career that you, path that you start on that right now is in shambles. Or it may be a relationship that started off strong and well and now is in shambles or is just holding on. It may be children, or it just may be lives in general that we don't know what to do with or how to share. So what do we do? What do we do with all this? How do we, how do we cope in rebuilding our lives when everything else is falling apart? Well, there's a couple things I want to share with you that I learned from the Scripture. And the first thing is, release your grief. Release your grief. I want to ask you the last time. How many of you have had any sorrow in your life over the last six months? How many have had any suffering over your life over the last six months? I could probably go to two or one and have the same answer. How many of you have released that grief? Just released it. Let me share with you what I mean here. Grief produces and loss produce emotions... Fear, depression, anger, loss, etc. And these things are scary, aren't they? And often we don't know what to do with them. Often we've been taught to keep them down. But I don't believe, and I know that God doesn't want us to do that with our feelings. So I'm going to tell you what not to do. Don't resist them. Where we say, I won't let myself feel anything. Or... Don't rehearse them, where we torture ourselves over and over and over again. You ever done that? 
You keep bringing it back up and torturing yourself. Or we have another one. We reduce them where we minimize. That's, that's the best one. That's the one we use all the time. When we say, I am hurting and it stinks. We don't say that. We say, how you doing? I'm okay. I'm making it. You know what making it is? It means you want to scream, you want to yell, you want to cry. But because society won't let you, you put yourself here. Anybody guilty of that? When we minimize? I saw a lady on the news who found a piece of a plate left of her house. You see her? And she was weeping at a plate. I weep when mine breaks and I got to clean it up. But for her, that was something that she could have and hold on to. It was an area for her to release her grief. And it's good to release that. We don't want to, we don't want to resist, rehearse, reduce, or repress them. Push our feelings down until one day, guess what happens? They explode. If we don't deal with our feelings now, we will eventually. Someone once said, when I swallow my feelings, my stomach keeps score. Instead, what God wants us to do is release them. Release them in prayer. Look at what it says in, in Psalm 18. That's up here for you. The, the cords of death entangle me. The torrents of destruction overwhelm me. The cords of the grave are coiled around me. The snares of death confront me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried for help from his temple and he heard my voice. My cry came before his ears. Or the New Living Translation, the floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its robes around me. Death itself snared me in the face. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord, and I prayed to the Lord for help. The next thing, as we rebuild from whatever we're dealing with, is to resist bitterness. Anybody ever been bitter? Somebody may be bitter right now. Bitterness. We can be bitter by the people who've wronged us. We can be bitter by just something that happened. But a lot of times, bitter. You know, this, this week, I've just been irritable. I've just been kind of... Eh. My daughter said to me, why are you always yelling? I said, could you always give me something to yell at? You know? And really, they do. But it's more about what's going on in me than what they're doing out here. Believe me, what they're doing out here is annoying, but what's going on in here is much more, needs to be dealt with a lot more than what's out here. You know what I mean? What's out here is good. You know, it, it, I, that can be handled. And so we got to decide, do we want to be better or do we want to be happy? Or do we want to get better? We can't be both. You know, I know so many people in, in devastating circumstances. And yet I've seen people just joyful. I've shared this before, but I always come back to the fact that I, I remember praying with my uncle before he died of cancer in the hospital. And one of the things was he believed in his healing up until the last point. He believed in his physical healing and he was cool if God took him and gave him the ultimate healing and brought him on. But one of the really cool things was he did some cool things in his death. He, he had continual praise and worship music on to praise the Lord even in his cancer suffering. And he blessed all of his children. 
before he passed. Very biblical and very awesome. What, look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. It causes deep trouble hurting many in their spiritual lives. Whoa! Are you hurting in your spiritual life? If you feel distant from God, maybe, just maybe, you've got a little ounce of bitterness in your life. And it needs to be dealt with. And that's going to bring us to this next one. Reevaluate your life. Reevaluate your life. Disasters have a way of changing our perspective, don't they? Complete way of changing everything. When we have a disaster in our life, when we have a loss in our life, it changes. If we measure our life by the things we've accumulated, then one day all those things are going to be taken away, and I guarantee, or else they're all going to be fought after after you're taken away. If, you, if your definition of family is tied to your house, yard, or neighborhood, then guess what? If it's suddenly completely destroyed, do you still have a family? If your concept of church is a building with stained glass and a steeple, you've missed a turn on your way in today. But on top of that, you've completely missed the point of what church is about. It's about us. It's about the people of God. It means assembly. Ecclesia means people together coming together for church. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. In the days ahead, millions of people are going to try to pull out of rubble. And they're going to ask the deepest question, who is my family? Who is my neighbor? And who is my church? We must help them understand that in every way we can. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy 6, 7. You thought it was Bill Cosby who came up with this, didn't you? We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Right? That's Paul telling us to recognize what's most important. And here's the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is to rely on the Lord. I could give some others, but I'm not going to. Rely on the Lord. Because what we need in our life is we need peace, and only that can come from Jesus. We need hope to rebuild our life. And that comes from the Lord. We need courage. And when our strength is weak, Psalm 3, 3 says, he lifts up my head. You know what that means? That means that person in Psalm 3 is just, yeah, you know when you're just down and you just, your whole body is down? It says the Lord lifts up your head. Okay? Just use his strength to lift up your head. Uh, on top of that, we all need the Lord in our lives. To rebuild us. Some of us may have been on this journey and are struggling or dealing with the suffering or whatever. And listen to what Job, Job who went through a lot of suffering. And we always talk about the patience of Job. And I tell you, I would have done a lot more whining than Job did. And I, you know, with friends like Job's, who needs enemies? Am I right? And here we go. Look at what it says in Job in the message version. Come back to God Almighty and heal what? Rebuild your life. You can't rebuild your life without God in your life. You can't rebuild your life without Jesus Jesus as the cornerstone in your life, which sets the shape of all that. But Jack, I thought we were talking about Jesus. Oh, we are, because when it rains, it pours. You thought it was bad with betrayal. You thought it was bad with injustice. But then he's led to the praetorium. And in the praetorium, 
He received flogging. And, and in the Roman praetorium, they had just a, uh, a log or, or something like that, you know, a column where they would tie somebody to and expose their back. And it's still done today in, in the Middle East, in certain areas of the Middle East. Still today. And you have people who are so skilled with a, a whip. And I'm not just talking about a regular whip. One may have a, a flagellum or one that may have a cat of nine tails that in the bits of leather were pieces of bone and, and glass and, and stone that when they hit, they would tear the skin away. We're told by uh, Tactius, the historian, that he would, he would share that these people were so skilled that they could strip the skin off of people's body. First bruising them and then tearing apart. And we learned that Jesus had 40 minus 1 because what they had learned is that 40 was a death blow. And yet, also we know that many people didn't even make it to the 40th or the 30th because they died in this whole situation. Tactius tells us 6 out of 10 did not survive that beating. Here he is in the praetorium. And he's beaten and beaten and beaten. And then from there, he was flogged and he was taken to be, uh, he was taken. And one of, one of the interesting things that I find that's interesting is the scripture tells that they started to have fun with him. Now we've all seen a crown of thorns and I, we thought we had one here today. But I mean, it's, I remember when we went to Israel one year, we were walking around in the shepherd's field before they put a road in there. And we're walking in the shepherd's field, and as we're walking through, I had some, like, sandals on, and I caught my foot on something. I went, ouch! And I looked, and here are these just growing just a few, several miles away from where Jerusalem is in Bethlehem, these, these little tiny new spikes that are growing out of the ground, like thorns. And they had, like, that long of a spike on it. And then I thought about the crown of thorns that was not just laid on Jesus' head, but crushed in his head. And we're told that they put a purple garment around him, one that was showed majesty, and they, they, said, they knelt down before him, and they took what was the equivalent of a baseball bat and hit him about the head and said, prophesy, who hit you? Prophesy, who hit you? And yet, we don't like going here, do we? And then he was forced to carry his cross. And it wasn't the full thing, but it would have been the crossbar. Um, and we're told that that would have been 75 to 100 pounds that he carried on this bleeding back on the Via Dolorosa, which is a, like a small marketplace kind of area on cobblestones and blood and sweat pouring off of his body. No wonder he fell upon the weakness that he experienced. And imagine the roughness of a Railroad tie rubbing in your back the splinters that are in this back. And he fell. And I'm sure that his disciples were around. We know that. And I'm sure that his mother was around. And one of the greatest scenes that I ever thought was done in the Passion of Christ is this right here. Can you imagine as his mom? What you're seeing. I want to show this right here really quick. pain and suffering of seeing that as a mom or, or as a dad or as someone who who just or as, as a Christian now seeing that you know and then we, we look at this next scripture this next scripture tells us that they came to the place of Golgotha which means the place of the skull and when they had 
uh, and when Jesus, uh, they, they took him there, and what they did is they would have taken, he had carried the patibulum, the part there, and there would have been a part that was more stationary with like a hole in the ground, and they would lay that down, they would lay him across that. And when they got there, you know, a lot of our artwork showed at hand, but most scholars believe in the wrist, because when he, and, and they, they were really good at this, they would take him and nail his hands with like a big railroad spike. He wouldn't die of blood loss. It would actually catch him right in here, most people believe, so that he would be able to hold his weight up. And then they would cross his legs or put him on the side and bend him up so you had to breathe by pulling yourself up on your arms or by lifting up off your legs. And you would do that. And if they got tired of you, they would take a big mallet and they'd break your legs so you couldn't pull yourself up and you died of suffocating. Cross ain't pretty, is it? I don't know about you, but I don't like to go here. I like mine to be shiny and nice. And so here we are at Golgotha. At this place where we don't like to go. Jesus, they went and they took a spear and they plunged it into his side. And Scripture says blood and water. And most people believe it's just the fluid building up in his lungs from him. Flowing back and forth. And it tells us that after he died, he, and we have this verse here from 33. It says, then they came to a place called Gotham, which meant the place of skull. And in verse 50 it says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now many of us who don't study scripture don't understand what that means. But that separated us from God. And what God did is said at that moment is no longer No longer am I separated because my son, remember this is Passover? Passover was a time where we thanked God for the blood on the door so that passed by death. Now because of Jesus, the Passover lamb. Death passes by us for those who believe in him and accept his gift of eternal life and his gift of him being the Lord and Savior of us all. The curtain was torn and God was no longer separated from us because of our sin. Because, remember that verse we started? The iniquity of us all was laid on him. That's a monster faith, isn't it? Isn't that monstrous? What God did for me and for you, that he loves us so much. Look at what this last verse says in verse 27, 33 through 54. They saw the earthquake and all that had happened, and they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely this man was the Son of God. We all have our Golgotha experiences. Why do I say that? Because the scripture tells us we must die to self. We need to put this stuff to death so that Christ can live in and among us. You see, they took him down off the cross and they placed him in a tomb, and three days later, praise God, what happened? He arose. I want to ask you today the most important question. As you see Jesus on the cross and you recognize that he rose again, here's the most important question that I can ask you today. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? If you do, do you not only believe it but accept it? And I want to share with you this story about how important it is to accept it. You know, what we're told is Jesus died as a pardon for our sins. In other words, I am a mess. 
I know that's hard for y'all to believe, but I am a mess. And Jesus said, I paid that price for you. I'm going to pardon you. And let's look. I want to share with you a story from the 1800s as we wrap this up and move to communion. In the 1800s of a guy named George Wilson. Say George Wilson with me. Anybody ever heard of George Wilson? George Wilson was an outlaw. He and his buddies used to rob trains, particularly U.S. mail trains. So they would rob the mail, made lots of money doing that. Well, he was caught one day. He and his friends were caught, and his friends were hanged immediately, but he had very influential friends and people in his life. And so he got his case sent all the way to President Jackson, President Andrew Jackson. And, in, uh, and they, that was in 1829, and he was given the death penalty. In 1830, President Wilson gave him a pardon. Pardoned him. They went back to Wilson and said, hey, great news, guess what? President Wilson has pardoned you. And Wilson said, I'm not going to accept it. He said, what, are you crazy? No, no, I'm not going to accept it. It started a whole new uh, l- bunch of litigation. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. You can look up case history. You can look up uh, the United States, uh, United States versus uh, George Wilson in the 1800s. And the Supreme Court came to this decision. And what the Chief Justice said at the time was, there is no way you can force someone to take a pardon. And because you can't force anyone to take a pardon, the pardon is only good if you accept it. Now I'm going to tell you, when you look at the cross, there's your pardon. But it's only good if you accept it. It's only good if you let Christ live in your life and change you and mold you and shape you. You have been pardoned. Are you going to accept it? We say, isn't that tragic? You know what happened to Wilson? He was hanged. Wilson was hanged. And we say in that he was hanged a free man. Died a free man. But guess what? Day in and day out, people die. And they have a pardon to be free in the Lord. And day in and day out, they die. Because they haven't accepted. Today, you've been pardoned. And we're going to celebrate communion today. And part of our communion is off of this Seder meal. But one of the things we want to recognize is Jesus took the loaf. It would have probably been more matzah type bread, but he took it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. He took the cup. There were several different cups. I'm not totally sure, but I always like to believe it's the uh, cup of redemption where he says, there's several different ones, but he lifts the cup and gives thanks. Blessed are you, Lord God, creator, ruler, sovereign of the universe that gives us fruit of the vine that we may have wine to drink. Gives it to his disciples and says, take and drink from this, all of you. This is my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. This happened just a few hours before this was going to happen. And so, God, we're here today. I don't know about you, but I recognize that there's areas in my life that are broken. 
And I need the Lord to come and to move into me. One of the broken pieces that was in the uh, Seder meal is called the Africa man. It means I have come. That's why I like the redemption because I think, you know, a couple of redemption because I think what Jesus was saying is I have come to redeem you. Last week, Fred sang a song, Redeemed. I've been singing it all week, right? Um, Wayne, I'm going to ask if you'll come up. You guys will come up right now. And I want you to sing Blessed Redeemer. I'm asking the, the servers. Do we have servers for um, communion?